Hey, this is Dave Burgess, and you are listening to The Dave Burgess Show, where we talk education, lifestyle, entrepreneurship, fitness, wellness, principles of success, interview elite performers in their field, and most importantly, cover topics that will empower, inspire, and uplift you. Let's go. Welcome to episode 26 of The Dave Burgess Show, where I'm going to talk to you about Two different ways that you can reframe student work, whether that's inside a class or outside of class in some sort of a homework type of scenario. So here's the first one. When you go to the modern day theme parks, all the parks are set up like this now. There's these fancy rides, super entertaining, like the Mummy Ride and Jurassic Park and some sort of medieval times ride. And all these rides, you get into the ride, they pull the belt down on you or pull the bar down, right? And you go zipping through these incredibly complex places and like it's all exciting and like adrenaline rush and all that kind of stuff like that. And then you come to a stop. They lift the bar up and where do they put you? Well, in all these modern day theme parks, it's the same thing. They empty you into the gift shop. That's right. They put you right into the back of the gift shop. And now with your kids, you have to walk through the entire gift shop, which has been themed to the ride that they just went on. It's brilliant marketing if you think about it, right? And so every time you get off these rides, you have to walk with your kids through the gift shop. And what do the kids want at that moment? Of course, they want all of it, right? And so they get off of the Jurassic Park ride and there's dinosaur sets and T-Rexes and books about dinosaurs and little excavation kits and all sorts of dinosaur-themed clothing and all that kind of stuff like this. They get off the mummy ride. There's books about pyramids. There's stuff with Egyptian symbols on it and the King Tut stuff and all that kind of stuff like this, right? Even if you get off, say, like the Medieval Times ride, there's books about castles and knights and DVDs about all this kind of stuff and sweatshirts and all that. Even in a place like SeaWorld, you go through the polar bear exhibit, they empty you into the gift shop of thousands of stuffed polar bears, polar bear sweatshirts, books about polar bears, little trinkets with polar bears, polar bear keychains and Christmas ornaments, You everything about a polar bear. They got it for you there right in the gift shop. Also at SeaWorld, there's something called the Shark Encounter, where you get on a little moving sidewalk and they take you through the glass tunnel, which goes under the water and the sharks are swimming all around you, right? And as I have my kids on that little moving sidewalk and they're looking up and they're saying like, hey, daddy, look, the sharks like they're all about around us. Look how many teeth they have. Oh my gosh, they have rows of teeth. Not just one row, there's rows of teeth. What happens if they bite you? And they're asking all these questions about the sharks that they're seeing, pointing them out and they're excited. And then the moving sidewalk ends and what do we find? Shark tooth necklaces, books about sharks, Shark Week DVDs, everything about sharks. And what do my kids want at that moment? They want all of it. Why? Because they just saw sharks. They're fired up about sharks. They're pumped about sharks. They want to know more about sharks. And in that moment, you could sell them anything about sharks. Well, that's how we need to look at school. You want to create powerful and exciting learning experiences for kids. Get them pumped about your content. And then don't just 
kill it by what you give them next, like some worksheet packet. No, you want to empty them into the gift shop of how they can go further, how they can explore, how they can go down those rabbit holes of self-interest because now they are into it, right? And so you say, here's a project you could do. Here's some, re- oh, you like that part? Here's some resources that you can explore, right? Here's how you can take that, uh, here's this challenge that's by, that we might put for you, right? And so there's all these different ways to empty them into the gift shop and explore further into your content. But it always starts by creating that powerful learning experience first, right? So focus on powerful pedagogy and then empty them into the gift shop. That's one way to reframe it. The second way, I mentioned it already, challenges. Hey, listen, I don't even like this word assignment. Let's be honest for a second. I don't want an assignment. Now you be honest with me. You don't want an assignment, but challenge me and I'll do almost anything. So how can we reframe assignments as challenges, right? Challenges get people fired up. So I don't know if you've heard of these races. There are things called, uh, they go by different names, like the uh, Tough Mudders and the Spartan races. And there's all these kind of extreme obstacle course races that are out there. And um, if you're not familiar with them, let me basically sum up the whole concept. You pay them money and then they set up a course to torture you. That's what it is. You give them your money. They put a little number on you and like a t-shirt and they set up a course to torture you. Some of these things, so they have mud pits. They have barbed wire that you crawl under. They have obstacles to climb over. They have freezing water that you have to go through in some cases. Some of these things even have like electrical shocks. They have little electrodes that hang down through parts of the the course and you have to go through and get like shocked as you go through this part of the course. They have all these different things that you have to do, these extreme fitness challenges, right? And people sign up for these things by the thousands. By the thousands, people sign up for these things. Now, Let's be clear. I don't sign up for these things, but I have some friends who do. In fact, I have a group of fans. I I have a little group text chain with them, right? And they signed up to do one of these races and they trained for it and they worked on it and they were looking forward to it. It was on the calendar, something that they were preparing for, right? And it it motivated them because it was was a challenge that was on the calendar for them. And they went there. Well, part of the race, my friend Omar in in, in the mud pit, his left hamstring cramped up and he threw all his leg all his weight over onto his right leg and his right hamstring cramped up and he slumped down into the mud and my other buddies lift him up under his armpits and dragged him out of the mud pit with his feet dangling behind him helped to lift him up to the top of the next obstacle where he kind of fell over landed on the other side and sprained his ankle and now Omar with two cramped legs and a sprained ankle limped across the finish line. Now, why do I tell you this? Because the very next day in the group text chain, Omar types in, hey, I see there's going to be another one next month in Los Angeles. Do you guys want to go? Like, what the heck is going on here, right? Well, I'll tell you what was going on. It was a challenge. It was something they did together. It was something they rose up and conquered and overcame, right? And so if it was easy, 
they wouldn't care about it. It wouldn't be a big deal. But the fact that it was a challenge made it motivating, made it exciting. And now you go to like a barbecue with these guys and they talk about it like it's a war story, right? Something that they went through and experienced together. And they'll tell you about all these challenges that they overcame and how they're training for whatever is coming next, okay? And the same thing is true in school. Kids will do incredible things for you if you position stuff as a challenge, not an assignment. Nobody wants an assignment, right? And by the way, a challenge doesn't have to be me against you, where you have winners and losers in your classroom. It could be the whole class against something, right? And so it's something that you're trying to do as a class. It doesn't have to be the kids against each other in some sort of a competition like that, right? I'll give you two examples from my classroom. Um, both of them are kind of a little bit crazy and maybe not perfect examples, but this will kind of just give you the concept of what I'm talking about. So when I was teaching about the gold rush, one of my favorite, favorite characters of the gold rush, I, I kind of tease about who he was. Um, and his name was Sam Brannon. And I tell them, Hey, you know what? This guy was like the first millionaire of the gold rush. And he never once mined for gold. He didn't get any of the gold. So how did this guy get so rich during the gold rush if he never got any of the gold? He never mined for the gold. And so now I have them try to generate ideas of how this guy could have made his money from the gold rush without mining for gold. And so that's kind of an important thing there too. There's a life-changing lesson here in sort of uh, entrepreneurship and how to see opportunities around the edges of stuff, right? So sometimes the entrepreneurial opportunity is not in the main activity that is taking off in the world. Sometimes it's something around the edges of it that you can capitalize on, right? And so the answer to how Sam Brandon made his money during the gold rush is kind of a funny story. Basically, he found out about the gold before anybody else. And what he did is he went out and he bought every pick, axe, pan, like all the mining supplies in the entire region. He bought them all up and then ran through the streets of San Francisco yelling that gold had been discovered in the American River, basically announcing the gold rush running through the streets. And everybody who wanted to go get the gold, you had to go to Sam Brannan to get your supplies. He owned them all. And so he crushed it and made a killing during the gold rush uh, and never once mined for gold. So I tell them this whole story. Like I said, there's kind of an entrepreneurial lesson that's in there too. And so then I continue the story. And he didn't know, he didn't have the best end to his life, however. And I kind of talked to them about that a little bit. But basically, I end class by saying this. Oh, by the way, this guy, Sam Brannon, he's buried in San Diego. Go find him. Go find Sam Brannon's tombstone and take a picture with it. Bring it back to me. And then I tell them like what they're going to earn in the class for, for doing this, for, the, for completing this challenge, okay? Now, what do you think happens at that moment? First of all, they're like, are, are you serious? Oh, yeah. Sam Brannon, he's, he's buried in San Diego. You go find him. Well, the bell rings. 
before they've even walked out the door of class, what do you think they're doing? They're on their phones. They're Googling Sam Brannon. They're Googling Sam Brannon's burial site. They're, they're, well, there's another word for this. Research. Like, they're not even into the hallway from my class. They're already researching, right? But does it feel like research? No, it doesn't feel like research at all. It doesn't feel like a homework assignment. It's a challenge. It's fun. It's exciting. It's something like, hey, let's see if we can solve this. Like it's like a it's like a mystery, right? And now they're out in the hallway and they're saying, like, oh look, hey, he's buried at Mount Hope Cemetery. Mount Hope Cemetery, it's off the 15. Like we can easily get there. We take the 52, the 15, go 15 south. We're like, we we could get there. Like, do you, you want to go after school? Oh, I can't. Oh, you got you got practice? All right, well, what about tonight? Let's see what time they close. Maybe we could go tomorrow. It's tomorrow, Saturday. Let's go to let's go to the cemetery on Saturday and try to get a picture, right? And so they're planning, they're organizing, they're setting up little groups. And I'm telling you something right now. I got hundreds and hundreds of pictures of people with Sam Brandon's tombstone and big giant group pictures with them all grouped around them, individual pictures, pictures with parents and Sam Brandon, any number of different ways, pictures where they went and they found where Sam Brandon was buried. Also, by the way, as they went, when they went to that cemetery, they often came back with stories about other things that they found in the cemetery too. Like, oh, did you know that so-and-so was buried there? And they're kind of, uh, kind of enjoying seeing the history all around them from, from San Diego. And so that's an example of creating something, creating a challenge, something that's kind of fun, mysterious. And, uh, another little side story about that is the, the cemetery always knew when it was this time of the year in my class, because these kids would be streaming there and talking to them about where Sam Brandon was. And they, they would never lead them to Sam Brandon, but they would help them anyway. They, you know, give them a little, some, some hints and advice. And then they would go off and, and go find Sam Brandon. Now, uh, I'll give you another example of this. It's even like a little crazier. Um, I used to do this, these lessons on the impact of the automobile during U.S. history and how it transformed our sense of space and time. Like, so the automobile, one of the things about it was it wasn't just that it was this industry. There, there was all these industries that sprung up, sprung up because of the automobile. And so it had this huge impact on the economy, but not just the economy, but how we see distance and space and time. And the way I would explain this to them is I would kind of lead them into it, um, take them down the garden path, as they say. And I'd say like, hey, you know what? Uh, we've been talking about the automobile. There's actually an automobile place that I want to take you down to, to to go tour on like a field trip. It's down by the beach. Um, but I want to make sure that I leave enough time for us to get down there, do the full tour of the automobile place, and then get back for you to be able to get your, your bus home or be able to get to the, the sports, your, your athletic practice or your band or whatever it might be. And so maybe you guys could help me out. And I know you guys go down to the beach a lot. So like, how long do you think it would take us to get to the beach? And the kids start guessing. I, I start writing on the board. Some kids are like, uh, probably 30 minutes. Like, oh, you know what? No, if we're going in the morning, there's probably traffic going that direction. So you probably should say like 35, 40 minutes. Other kids are like, no way. I've never, it's never taken me more than 20 minutes to get down there. And the other person, I'll, I'll, if I'm driving, it's going to be 15 minutes. I'll get us there in 15 minutes. And I get all these estimates on the board. Then I say, you know what? I don't, I don't think you guys understand. We're walking. I don't have a, I don't have a, like a bus or no, we're walking. And then all of a sudden 
their faces changed. And some kids said, oh, walk, you can't walk that far. Like that, another kid says, three hours. I think probably five hours. Someone says, no way, probably eight, probably eight hours. You'd probably be walking all day. Then some other kid says, you know, maybe two days. Like you probably have to take a tent or something and camp halfway. A tent, no way. I could do it in two hours. And you start to get these guesses and estimates, right? And then finally I say, you know what? Look at all these, look at all these guesses on the board. Like they're all over the map. We're never going to be able to figure this out unless someone tests it and tells us how long it's going to take. Who's got it in them? Start at my door, touch my door and start walking and then put your hand in the ocean on the other side and tell us how long it takes. Who's up for it? Well, the first year I did this, a group of kids said, yeah, and they agreed to do it. They even had, they organized it. They had like a support car that had, they, they met the night before and made like sandwiches and got drinks and stuff like that and had a little support car that would, that would follow them and met them along different parts of the path, right? And uh, I went and, and met them a couple times along the way as well. And then at the end, they just like ran down the beach, collapsed into the ocean and made it. And I got them pizza and all this kind of stuff. And I think that their time was something like eight. I think it took them like eight hours. They stopped a couple of times to eat and things like that. But I think it took like something like eight hours to get down there. Other groups uh, did it in much faster time. But pretty soon this became a thing. And people made fun of it. They would call it like uh, Mr. Burgess's March to the Sea, right? And so I would the start of class, start of the school year, people would come in and say like, "Hey, when's the March to the Sea? Like, when's when's Mr. Burgess's March to the Sea?" And I said like, "You know what? Don't worry about it. It's not time yet." And then pretty soon, when that part of the class would come, I'd announce the challenge, and it became a thing. They would organize teams. Lots of them would make. They would get T-shirts. They would like make T-shirts with like fabric paint and stuff like that. They would wear cost. Some of them wore costumes like superhero costumes and different things. They would always bring back souvenirs. Like in my classroom, in different places, like a, there would be souvenirs that people found along the way that they would they would take with them and then bring back to class and we'd like hang them up on the walls and put them around and stuff. And uh, so it became this big, I would, oftentimes I would meet them in the morning at my classroom, sometimes like Saturday morning, six o'clock, um, six in the morning, police at my, oh, never mind. That's a nice tea song. Anyway, so uh, yeah, we meet at like six in the morning at the door and uh, I, I'd bring them donuts, get them started, and then off they'd go on their, on their trek to the sea. Um, and... So the reason I'm telling you this, I taught a lot of kids who didn't want to go to school on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. But those same kids who didn't want to show up at school on the weekday would set their alarm, get up on a Saturday morning, touch my door, and walk four, six, eight hours to the beach because it was a challenge. It was something they did together. It was cool. It was interesting. The way it was framed for them, right? It was something that was uh, that they had to try to overcome. And they got excited about it and created teams and collaborated and connected and planned and organized and took it on 
and accomplish these goals. Uh, I have all sorts of stories about some things, good and bad, that happened on the the Mr. Burgess' March to the Sea. But the the bigger point is just that, look, kids will, in fact, do incredibly difficult things. I don't just mean like walking six to eight hours, but incredible difficult things for you as a teacher, if you set up the right kind of environment, the classroom culture, the spirit of overcoming challenges and obstacles and being willing to do the hard things, they will do those things for you if you can do that for them. And so there's two different ways for you to reframe student work, create powerful learning experiences for kids, and then empty them into the gift shop of how they can go further and explore and go down those rabbit holes. And then also always look for ways to reframe assignments as challenges to make them more engaging and more motivating. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to The Dave Burgess Show. Let's connect. I am at Burgess Dave on Twitter. My name just flipped around to Burgess Dave. On Instagram, I am DBC underscore INC, and I blog at DaveBurgess.com. Please share your thoughts and comments on social media using the hashtag DaveBurgessShow. It would mean the world to me if you share the show with friends and colleagues, and I would be honored if you left a positive review on whatever platform you listen on. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you have a question, a topic, or a guest recommendation for the show, just email me at dave at daveburgess.com, put podcast question in the subject line, and I absolutely cannot wait to join you on the next episode.